lazy, entitled, selfish. Those are just some of the things people are calling the millennial generation. But are the stigmas true? We're the Adkins. We are a millennial couple, and this question is something that we have become obsessed with finding the answer to. We admit that our generation has some flaws, but it's time we stop just accepting that's the way it is and start doing something about it. We have been on a mission to pursue our God-given purposes, and we are sharing that mission in real time. Through this podcast, our goals are to help you realize that you have a unique purpose, give you the tools to discover what that purpose is, and challenge you, millennial or not, to rise up and live out every day being the person that God has designed you to be. If we do these things together, we truly believe that we will be able to break the stigmas of millennials and shift the narrative of our generation. We won't just be a force for good, but we will be trailblazers for the generations to come. Are Are you ready ready to start your mission? All right. Hi, everyone. We are here with Dan Olawabi, and I'm very excited for this uh, interview today. Um, I got to meet Dan and and hear him speak a few times um, through Forever Lawn, um, and he is a former pastor. Do you, you still do? Yeah. Former pastor, um, college athlete, um, speaker and author. He wrote a book called Authentic Leadership, uh, which is just a, a great book. And I will say this. I, I don't know if many of you are like me, but oftentimes when I listen to speakers or hear people speak, um, sometimes they are, I don't want to say f- full of themselves, but they <laughs> Uh, they tend to use their own stories to promote, like, look at me, look at where I came from. This is this is me. Um, and they're, they're not authentic. And Dan talks a lot about authenticity. And I will be honest, out of pretty much any speaker that I've ever met, Dan really embodies authenticity. He's very relatable. He's down to earth. Um, in his uh, presentations, he often uses stories of other people to show the highlights and the good things and then uses his um, <laughs> shortcomings <laughs> for the negative side of things. So we are very excited to have Dan on here today. It's good to be here. It's really good to be here. I'm excited to talk about authenticity with you guys. And it's really cool that you're you're in a podcast like this, Millennial Mission. I mean, that's a really cool concept. So yeah, kudos to you guys for launching it. Yeah, thank you. So, Dan, if we could maybe just, uh, we like to hear people's stories, like to hear where they started and how they've got to where they are today. So if maybe you have a really unique and uh, impactful story, so maybe you could start with your childhood and kind of where God's taken you today. Yeah, so um, I'll start with some of the big rocks in my story. Um, Yeah, you know, I think early on when I was growing up, I didn't realize how unique it was until you start to get some distance from your family of origin, then you're like, oh, wow, that's really different. That, that was my case. Um, so for me, um, you know, a couple of things. My mom and dad were both Nigerian. Um, so they both came from Nigeria, emigrated to the United States. Um, they settled in a small town. Um, a couple of things about them that was really unique, though, was that they were, they're both deaf meaning they both couldn't hear. Um, I'm fluent in sign language. My sister is fluent in sign language. My brother is too. We're all hearing and my mom and dad are deaf. So that, I mean, you can imagine growing up as a teenager, that created a very interesting, there's just a lot going on there, you know? 
and I think teenagers and parents struggle with communication anyway. Imagine if your parents just literally can't hear what you're saying behind their back. There's just a lot, <laughs> a lot going on. So <laughs> that should be a TV so, show. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. A comedy or a tragedy. What are the <laughs> other? <laughs> but yeah, so like you know, it, it was a unique upbringing. Um, and you know, again, you know, my my parents are from Nigeria, so we smell we settled into a small. Um, small Northeast Ohio town and where we were the only black family. So that added another dynamic on top of that. There's a lot that we needed to learn. And my dad was a pastor. I grew up in a Christian household. Um, And one of the things that I learned as I was growing up was how to have both empathy for my mom and dad being in such a very difficult situation and making it work really well. I mean, both of them taught at the largest universities um, in our area, Kent State and Akron University led the department. Both of them have graduate degrees. Um, so watching what they overcame and watching in the context of what they struggled through, man, it really gave me a sense of appreciation for them years later. Now at the time, man, <laughs> I did not appreciate it. But, you know, years later, I look back. At the same time, um, you know, being in that environment helped me learn a lot of empathy for, for people who didn't share the same background that I did. You know, they, they were of a different race. They had a different upbringing. Their parents weren't more the way my parents were. And so being able to understand where other people were coming from was another great gift that I got from growing up in the environment that I was in. So very unique, um, but definitely fruitful. I pulled a lot from it. And so you were raised in that upbringing. You went to, uh, was it Malone University? I did. Went yeah. to Malone University. Man, I'm remembering stuff. This is crazy. <laughs> um, and uh, you, you played sports there. Um, how did you go from being raised in that home to playing sports to end up being a pastor and now uh, being a speaker and an author? And I guess yeah. I want to add to that. Where did you think that you would be? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I thought I was going to be a, uh, I thought I was going to either be in the NBA. Uh, that was my dream. Until I got uh, dunked on a couple times in Malone, and I was like, "Okay, I'm not, I'm not that good." <laughs> so that was a wake up call. Malone in general was just a good wake up call. Um, I also thought I was going to be a college professor. I thought that was going to be mm. um, just a, an excellent path for me, getting a doctorate, that kind of stuff. But once I got my master's degree, I realized that's not really what I wanted to do uh, with the rest of my life. Um, yeah, so you know, like you said, I went to Malone. Um, Great experience. My dad was a pastor. So for as long as I could remember, I just did not want to be a pastor. I was like running away from it. Um, a lot of preacher's kids will say that too. Uh, and, and, you know, in, in a way, it's like the family business, you know, where you know all the routine, you know what happens behind the scenes, you know the committee meetings, you know who's lying, who's not. Um, but you don't take the gospel seriously because it's so familiar. Mm. You know, it's just, it's not personal because it's like you just know everything about it. Um, but when I got to Malone, God really sort of rocked my boat. And that's when he started making the gospel much more personal to me. I had some dark moments where um, I was injured playing basketball and I was alone and just a lot of different things that happened. It really started to shake me. And that's when he planted the seeds of ministry, where it was less about doing church and going through routines, but more about connecting and serving people in, in an authentic way. And so that kind of um, focus for me really became the driving force in my life. So, you know, from Malone, I went on to teach. I was a high school history teacher. And my goal there was to create leaders, to invest in them, great students, to really see them thrive. And so I thought I could really live out the gospel as a teacher with those students. 
But in a, in a bunch of different ways, God spoke to me and essentially said, hey, I'd like you in ministry um, and kind of pulled me into a full time ministry, kicking and screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it went well. I started uh, pastoring at a small church. It was about 300 people. Um, I was the assistant pastor um, and just learned a lot, um, grew a lot, learned how to lead people right without having to pay people anything. So leading volunteers without a paycheck. Um, learning how to inspire people, motivate people, connect with people in order to help them do the project together. Like all that stuff was part of it. Um, so yeah, I was, I was at that church for about three years. And then um, I had the opportunity to launch a church, to start a church in my hometown. Um, so to move back from this small church in the middle of Holmes County, Ohio, and move to my hometown and start a church from scratch. Um, I couldn't pass up. So I, you know, said, Hey, I'd like to go do that. Left that church, started the new one. And man, God did so much. Like he did a bunch in me, right. He made me a better leader through the process, but in the church, like get this, we started with 10 people. I was there for five years. By the time he left, we had 600 at our, at our highest number. I was super excited by that and had the opportunity to baptize people. I played football with, right. People I went to school with their whole families, like, those moments you realize that God, God is orchestrating your steps. And if you're mm-hmm. just faithful, he will create those moments that, you know, your heart is craving, but it's about faithfulness, you know, and I even thinking about it, you know, when I was in the middle of that church, um, launching that church in my hometown, thinking, gosh, there was a time when I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to be a pastor, man. What was I thinking? Cause this is incredible, <laughs> you know? So that, that, that's a little bit of my journey, how I came from alone to being a pastor. So I love what you said about how God kind of orchestrates our steps. And what we notice a lot in our audience is we have, you know, younger people, and sometimes they're even people that are older than us, but they don't like, they feel a little bit lost in life. And in retrospect, as we kind of have taken leaps in our own lives, now we can see how God was orchestrating those steps. But what would you say to somebody who's kind of in that messy area, that gray area where maybe they're fighting what God is calling them to do, or maybe they're so out of tune with God and the word of God that they just feel completely lost in that point in their life. That's good. That's good. Cause so many people experience that. Um, but if you, I mean, if you follow people on Instagram and Facebook, it seems like everybody has their life together. (laughs) That's not the truth. A lot of people struggle with that behind the scenes. I, I get that. Great question. So I I would give two things. I would give two specific answers to that question. The first thing I would say is they need to, they need to, to learn to be open. So I don't think that you can really hear from God fully until you are a hundred percent open with him taking you wherever he wants to. And one of the practices that I use to get to that place is I, I actually sit down and I imagine some of the most difficult things that God could call me to. And I put myself in a position where I would say, even then I'm okay with that. You know, God wants me to move to like Syria and work with refugees. Like even then I'm, I'm great with that. God wants me to like do X, Y, Z, even then I'm okay with that. And if I can mentally get myself to a place where I trust God enough that if he calls me to the craziest things, I will say yes. Cause I believe in him that much. I'm at a good spot. I'm not fighting anything. I'm not pushing anything. I'm like, God use me. And it's all my imagination, right? Yeah. But it's my posture of trust towards him. That's so, that's so the person. good. That's great. Ahead, yeah, yeah. No, that, 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 so that's the first thing. You know, the second thing is um, 
is learning to look. So sometimes this is something that I find over and over again. When people are anxious about what they want to do next, they just get they get moving. So they'll try everything. They'll read all the books. They'll interview all the people. They're just in this hurry. And what God really wants from you is just to stop and observe. Like, what am I showing you? What do you need to do right now? Because oftentimes it's really about settling into him and then getting eyes like he has eyes. And so if your heart starts to break the same way his heart is breaking, then you'll see where you can apply yourself and fix those things. But he wants you to feel like he feels first before he wants you to do like he does. And so yeah. it's super important to first, you know, just open yourself up to anything he wants you to do. And then the second, learn to look, just start looking at life in a different way. Wow. Those are two really tangible and great pieces of advice. So that we haven't heard before. Yeah. The first one I think is awesome because you could even, while Syria is like so extreme and I think it's so good to put yourself in that spot. But I also think there's so many people who right now are in a job that they hate and they just so badly want to get out of it. But if Mm. you take that word of advice and even say, even in this job, God, even here, even in this place where I'm miserable, use me here. And I think you're exactly right. When we start letting him use us where we are now, then we'll start seeing those steps being orchestrated. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. Exactly right, Bethany. All right. So I want to... Uh, change pace here a little bit, but I wanted everybody to hear your story because, and get to know you a little bit because um, your story was so impactful for me. I want everybody to know where you came from and and where you got today. But um, as you guys know, on Thursdays, we're deep diving in on a topic and this month is mindset. And I was sitting in one of Dan's uh, workshops, presentations, whatever you want to call it. And he went through these uh, four pillars and I took a ton of notes on these, but I thought it was so impactful for mindset. And uh, I think it's Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as a man thinketh, so is he. And our, the mindset you have, and I often relate this to perspective, the perspective that you have is so important. So I wanted Dan to cover these four pillars and uh, the notes I took, and Dan, you can correct me if I got these wrong, but I had um, locate yourself, um, push the rock, I had uh, grab the towel and fill your tank. Can you maybe uh, tell us a little bit about those and and what that does for our mindset? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, those 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 are really great pillars. I think for me, um, you know, if I was going to start uh, with locate yourself, it, that has a lot to do with being above the line or below the line. Now, one of the things I love talking about is how whenever something difficult happens to you, there's a line. And that line kind of represents this horrible thing or difficult thing or unexpected or unwanted thing that's happened to you in a a day, in your lifetime, whatever. Um, And when that happens to you, everybody has the choice to either live above the line or below the line. Now, living above the line means that you are open, you're curious, you're thinking about possibilities and you're committed to learning, right? You put yourself in a position where if somebody criticizes you or whatever, you take it as advice. You're like, hey, I need more information. I want to learn. I want to grow. You know, that's the kind of attitude that you have. You're in a learning posture. If you're below the line, you are closed. You are negative. You are pessimistic. You're committed to winning. You know, it's all about like me versus everyone else. Um, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> this is one thing I love. When you're below the line, you tend to be serious. Like everything is dead serious and it's just life or death. When you're above the line, you know, from really any distance, anything can be funny, right? No matter how horrible it is, if you give it enough time and enough space, 
there's some humor in almost anything. And so you have that perspective, like you said. Um, so that when you, when you stop for a second and you're going through a difficult season, one of the most important things you can do is just locate yourself and say, am I above the line right now or am I below the line? Because if I'm below the line, I am in no place, get this, I'm in no place to come up with a creative solution to actually fix this problem. I am just making things worse because I am just curled up in a ball and I'm negative and I'm looking for someone to blame. I'm complaining. I'm just defending myself. You know, that's the kind of thing that doesn't bring solutions. But if you're above the line, now you're in a position to actually make that difficult situation much, much better. I'm gonna, I want to slide in real quick and just say I that one concept for me was the most tangible and practical because you can... Were you just thinking about me the whole time? No. <laughs> Although <laughs> I did do that. In the workshop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got some notes here, but you can't see it. No. Uh, but I, I, I tend to have found that I've done that at times, but to have um, a name to it, to have uh, the perspective of using that as a tool that we can just stop ourselves in the midst of, you know, something difficult that may be going on and check ourselves with that um, is huge. And the one other cool thing that it reminded me of was uh, Viktor Frankl uh, wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And Viktor Frankl was a um, uh, con- was in the concentration camps back in World War II. And one of the quotes that he pulled from, from the book uh, was, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. And I loved that quote because if there, anybody was going through a difficult time, it was this guy, like the most difficult of all difficult times. But to have that freedom to choose your attitude to determine if you're above the line or below the line is just so impactful and can change your perspective on the situation. Yeah, that's great. All right. So to transition over to pillar number two, which was grab or no, I'm sorry, push the rock. Can you tell us a little bit about push the rock? Absolutely. Absolutely. By the way, great quote from Viktor Frankl that I mean, writing a book just coming out of the Holocaust. Yeah. I mean, geez, like no one is going to doubt your experience. Like, you know, hard things. Mm-hmm. So right. that's good. That's a great quote. Um, yeah. So the second one is push the rock. And this is really all about perspective and self-discipline. So the story goes in ancient Greece, um, there's Greek myths. I think, you know, growing up in school, Greek mythology was a big thing. Um, the story of Sisyphus pushing on the rock was, is kind of a famous story. Um, but oftentimes people don't fully understand it. So the idea is that Sisyphus is this king, is this king and he has made Zeus, which is like the king of the gods. He's made Zeus like really, really angry because he keeps screwing up and keeps pulling tricks. And obviously that's not a real story, but he keeps pulling tricks and doing stuff. Zeus gets really mad as the story goes and says, Sisyphus, I'm not going to kill you right now. I'm going to torture you for the rest of your life. And so what he does is he puts him at, at the bottom of this hill and he gives him this huge boulder And Sisyphus has to push this rock up this hill. But the key is when he gets to the very top of the hill, the boulder will automatically get too heavy and it won't push itself over the hill. It'll just roll right back down the hill again. And so Sisyphus, for the rest of his life, is running down this hill to catch this rock and then turning around and pushing the same rock up the hill, only to have to push it back, only have to chase it back down again and then push it back up again. All that to say, Zeus expects this to be torture. The way the story goes in some versions is that Zeus comes back 
and he checks on Sisyphus and he expects it to be the worst thing in the world. He's probably going crazy, that kind of stuff. But Sisyphus is happy and <laughs> Sisyphus is like excited about what's going on. And the question is, you know, how is it possible for Sisyphus to be happy? Sisyphus turned that challenge into an opportunity for growth because he said, okay, how, how fast can I push this rock up the hill? How slow can I push it up the hill? How strong can I get in the process? Can I outrun this rock down the hill? Like he came up with different opportunities to actually develop himself while he's in the middle of a difficult, undesirable, unchangeable situation, right? And the key is when you're in a difficult moment to remember there's always, always a chance for you to grow and learn and use this to your benefit. That's, that's, the, that's the moral of the story. Yeah. And I, when you said that, I just thought about so many people and we've talked about this with people in their purpose journeys of how, where they're, they feel like they're stuck in a, in a dead end job or they're stuck in a certain position. They're never going to get out. And I've seen uh, people that have taken two different perspectives. I've seen people take the Sisyphus perspective where they're just going to learn, they're going to grow. It may be a labor job, and if you look at it with the perspective of, you know, I'm not going to be doing this forever, but what can I learn here? Can yep. I learn leadership? Yep. Can I learn work ethic? What can I do with this to then launch me? And I've seen so many people use that and then launch themselves into the next thing. God uses it. And I've seen the other people that get beaten down and downtrodden about it and are miserable. And mm. then they just quit and they don't let mm. it, they don't let God use it for the next thing. They just move on to something else that and are miserable. That's, that's exactly right. I've seen that a lot too. And, you know, it's funny you say that because I remember my football coach used to tell me this when I was a senior in high school. He said, the person who attacks the hit is the one that gets hurt the least. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically what it means is, you know, if you're standing, this is a football analogy, you know, if you're standing on the line and you're waiting to get hit, it is going to hurt. Mm-hmm. But if you go on the offensive and you're like, I am going to push into the situation, I'm going to make a maximum impact. I'm going to do everything I can. Suddenly you don't hurt nearly as bad as the situation as the other guy. Right. So, I mean, that's exactly what you're saying. I love that. Yeah. So it kind of leads into the next one, which is uh, grab the towel. But if you look at that position as uh, how you're going to serve and what, what uh, God can use it for, uh, it just really completely changes the, your perspective and, and what you get out of it. So can you elaborate on grab the towel next? Yeah. Yeah. So basically that, that analogy um, has to do with two different kinds of leaders. So there's one kind of leader that leads with a clipboard and there's another kind of leader that leads with a towel. The leader that leads with a clipboard basically is the one who's more, more critical than anything. They have the rules. They know exactly how things should go. And so they're there to tell you what's right and what's wrong. So think like your worst teacher. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. And all they are there to do is to just to make sure that you're not like screwing up, you know? They're not there to help you or support you. They're just there to make sure you're following the rules. It's up to you. On the other side, there's leaders that lead with a towel. And their job is to kind of get in there and actually fix the problems with you and help you grow. And you, you're more loyal to them. You love them because you can tell they care about you. And they've been working shoulder to shoulder with you on the same problems. They have the same perspective that you do from, from time to time. And they're able to help you grow because they've grabbed a towel, not a clipboard. They're there to support you and help you, not just criticize you. And so I gave an analogy with that where I talked about Jesus washing people's yeah. feet and the, the practical way that he did that. It wasn't like, a, you know, hey, this is going to be a miraculous moment where I'm going to raise people from the dead. It was like, look, your feet are dirty. We need to eat. No one is washing anyone's feet. Let me do it. And he just grabbed it and did it. And that was just an excellent example of leadership. 
just leading by example and having the perspectives instead of dropping the hammer on everybody and telling them what they need to do, having the, the perspective of joining them in what you're doing. And honestly, we know the best leaders uh, that, that do that. And it's, and it's not even necessarily the guy that is in charge a lot of the times too. It can, it's just somebody that's, uh, you know, in the, in the throes of it that can join along and, and lead that way as well. Are you signed up for our podcast newsletter? If you're on social media, you guys know we don't always show up there. This podcast is where our heart is and where you can find all of our most recent and accurate updates. The best part? The podcast is completely free. To add to the benefits of the podcast, we have decided to send out a monthly podcast newsletter this year. In it, you'll find a recap of what we talked about on the podcast each month with easy links to each episode. You'll also be the first to get notified when we are doing giveaways, and you will get priority notifications when we have exclusive discount codes for our listeners. Essentially, by signing up for the newsletter, you're making money and saving time by being a part of the Millennial Mission community. It's that good. You can sign up by clicking the link in the show notes. You won't regret it. Back to the episode. All right, so the last uh, pillar was uh, fill your tank. And I, I really like this because I needed to hear it. Um, I think that I don't do this enough. And I would say, I feel like we both probably don't Uh-oh. do this <laughs> enough. So um, <laughs> if you can just elaborate on the fill your, fill your tank and why it's so important, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people honestly aren't, a lot of people that are in the thick of it that are doing all of the other three pillars aren't doing this enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we put this one last because oftentimes when you're serving and you're helping and you're leading people, you get depleted. And so fill your tank essentially starts with the idea that the only gift you have to give to the world is yourself. And if you allow yourself to get run down, beat down and whatever, you don't bring your best to any situation. And so you're hurt. The people you're trying to help are hurt. Nobody's helped. And so it's flipping the idea on, on its head and saying to be at your best for others, you have to just simply be at your best. Um, so there's two different there's two different openings to your tank. There's things that fill you and there's like a top where you can fill yourself. And then there's things that drain you. And you have to pay attention to both openings. What I had the, with the, what I had the group do was I had them actually list the things in your life that fill you up, things that make you excited. So for me, it was like cooking. Um, watching a movie. I love running. I love hanging out with my family. I love travel. Like those things fill me up. The things that drain me are like, you know, just too much counseling, um, a lot of drama on my team, like a lot of <laughs> details, like things like that just really kind of get me. And so what, what I find, and this is the challenge, what I find is that when things are really tough and I'm just in the throes of it, I'm frustrated, I'm tired. My tendency naturally, and maybe this is for you guys too, my tendency is to buckle down on the things that drain me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, when I, when I finish all these things that suck and I don't want to do anymore, then I'll, I'll go ahead and enjoy myself and I'll, I'll run, I'll cook or whatever. Yeah. But in reality, what that does is that, that completely drains you when you're already drained. What you got to do in moments like that is you got to turn around and you got to say, hey, time out. <laughs> I need to go watch a movie. Not because I'm selfish, not because I can't grit it out. Because look, if I don't do this, like that's, that's called suicide, right? Where I just drain myself to the point where I'm completely depressed. I need to go fill myself back up again so I can be my best in this difficult situation, right? It's about you knowing you well enough to say, hey, time out. I'm going to take an afternoon. 
I'm going to stop my work. I'm going to turn the faucet off. There's nothing going on this afternoon that's so critical that I can't take care of myself for a second. And I'm going to go do this thing, fill myself back up again. I'll be back at it, double speed, even better than when I started. That's really good. I want to ask a question about this. So I definitely, like, I'm super task-oriented. And even, like, this is awful, but so if, if my day is full with work stuff, I'm like, well... I'll do my devotional after all my work stuff is done. And then I put like, just like you said, the stuff that fills me up by the end of the day, I'm like, yeah, I didn't do it. Like now I'm a weekend. I haven't been in my Bible and my attitude's awful and my mindset is off. So, but so I definitely, definitely struggle with that. Now the thing with millennials, and this is the millennial mission podcast. I see sometimes that millennials have swung this pendulum too far in the direction to almost it's like selfishness, like this whole self-care thing. Um, it's like, well, I need self-care, self-care Saturday today. So I'm going to binge <laughs> on Netflix. I'm not going to clean my house. I'm not going to, if my parents call me to check in, like, nope, I'm not doing it. So have you noticed that? And what, so like, what is the line, I guess, for, for some people who might struggle with this, where they're like, yeah, of course. I'm going to fill myself up. I got to go shopping, blow, you know, build up my credit card debt, whatever. I'm curious to hear your perspective. <laughs> yeah, no, hey, that, that, I get what you're saying there. Um, there's two things that I would say. I mean, first, you know, obviously when you go into a, a time of filling yourself up, you want to come out better than when you came in, right? You don't want to binge on Netflix because what you do is just turn your brain off and you're not like better off. You're not sharper. You're just like, you know, and so what you want to do is you want to do things that you know will give you energy and know that when you come out, you're bouncing and you're ready for the world, right? The second thing is, you know, and you guys mentioned this as we're talking about the the, the pillars. The fourth one is is filling your tank. It's the last one. Yeah. Because there you you need to do work for you to grow as a leader and to grow as a person, you have to stretch yourself and actually get to the point when you are tired. That needs to happen on a fairly regular basis, but you need to know when to stop. And refill yourself. You know, oftentimes what I see is people who don't want to serve, right? They don't want to get out and stretch themselves and challenge themselves. And they're not trying to push the rock. They're just like, I'm tired. I need a break. (laughs) Well, maybe you don't need a break. Maybe you just need to push it a little bit harder today, knowing that a break is coming on Sunday, you know, or maybe you need to take some time, 30 minutes during the day and actually like refocus yourself and then get back at it and get out in the game. But that rest, that rest is for being ready to actually get out and serve. You're not just doing it for the sake of doing it. Like you're preparing yourself to get out and do God's work in the world. You hear that millennials? It's not an excuse to be lazy. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the biggest thing I would take from that is just how you said, list out the stuff that fills you up. So be super intentional about those things that fill you up and make sure that they're good and not just selfish. So there's two things that I pulled out of your book um, that I wanted to kind of end things on that have to do with mindset and perspective. And um, the one thing I thought was really neat was uh, the section was titled when pretending is valuable. Um, Mm -hmm. And you talked about the, the two different ways that you can pretend. Um, One is, is, is pretending and putting on this fake facade that everything's okay, that, you're better than you are, all of these things, and it can lead to negative things. But the other one was um, it was pretending uh, as practice. 
And the couple things I highlighted here is very often the only way to get a quality in reality is to start behaving as if you had it already. And then sometimes when you act like someone you're not, it's not pretending, it's practice. And I, I've heard that in, in different ways, but I like the way that uh, you put it there. And actually, one was a quote from C.S. Lewis, too, um, uh, because we hear the term like fake it till you make it kind of a thing. But there can be a way to, to use that, to pretend to be um, more so that you then fill that void. Can you maybe talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's a great section of the book. I remember when I read that quote and thinking, that, that that's something I want to put in a book. Um, you know, basically it has to do with the end goal, right? So basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to grow into something. You know that in order to get better at free throws, like you have to just repeatedly shoot bad ones over and over and over again until you get better. But you have to practice the actual art of doing it again and, and just like anything else. And so I think it's important for people to recognize that sometimes they have to step into the moment, trusting that God is going to sort of create who they need to be as they're doing the work, right? Right. But it's not it's not about pretending that you're better than you are. It's actually saying, I need to develop these skills. And the best way to is by actually going through the motions, actively, intentionally thinking through. I'm not trying to hide anything or pretend anything. I'm literally trying to be better every day. And that's that's authenticity. I love that. I, I, I really I, I love that. I just it especially as when I reflect back as being like a new Christian, a lot of times new Christians will start cutting things out of their lives that uh, were destructive. Um, and it can seem extreme at times, but they really need that. So they're, they're trying to be a different and better person. But then you get to the point where, or actually we go through the four stages of competency really in it that you talk about as well. So then it becomes automatic and then you can, um, start not necessarily doing those things again, but kind of being around some of those things again without it affecting you. So I love that you talk about that. It applies to business. It applies to being a good dad. I mean, I know I was not in the right place to be a good dad when we first had Carter, but I had to start reading and, and pretending in a sense that I was a better dad than I was so that I could become be a better dad. Yeah, you, you got it. You got it right. Yeah. And if you were going to fake it, and try to be a better dad. Essentially, you wouldn't have read the books. You would have just tried to like hope that you could do the right things. And then somehow your son wouldn't notice that you're still a jerk. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. for sure. I still have those moments too today. But um, so then the other thing I thought was really neat that I pulled out of here is you talked about natural confidence. And um, I remember having this shift and you mentioned earlier about like people getting on social media and pretending and putting on this fake life. Um, and they care too much about what other people think. And I know I used to struggle with that a lot. And uh, not that I don't ever struggle with that now, but I feel like it's almost not there for me anymore. But it all stemmed from uh, who do I really, whose opinion do I really care about? I really care about ultimately God's opinion of my life. And I'm li- if I'm living out what he wants me to do, and to some extent, um, mentors and, and people that I'm striving to be more like. Um, but you, I highlighted a couple things in here about this natural confidence. And I think this is a definitely applies to mindset. Um, you said, it comes from the belief that you have enough and that you are good enough. 
That kind of natural confidence only develops after you've wrestled self-doubt to the ground. It comes after you've endured challenges without quitting or compromising. It comes after you've evaluated your weaknesses with clear eyes and learned how to succeed in spite of them. Um, and then the, the, the big part that tied in with what I was saying that I uh, highlighted is, as someone who has found tremendous strength from my faith, I've recognized the value of placing my identity in something deeper than external accomplishments or the applause of a crowd. As a Christian, I fundamentally believe that whether I succeed or fail, God still loves me. And I find my ultimate identity in my relationship with Christ. So you can, can you talk a little bit about the confidence that we have um, and not really caring about what other people think when we know we're doing what God wants us to do? Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I'm glad you brought up that section. Um, so for me, you know, my confidence um, comes from, like I said in the book, being loved by Christ. Right. And what that does, it's a different kind of confidence because what it's does, what it's done is it's removed fear, like significant portions of fear out of my life. So now I'm able to do things without feeling the sting of, you know, sort of wondering what people are going to think or whether or not, you know, I'm going to be looked at a certain way. It doesn't mean that I don't care about what people think. I actually do care about what people think, but it's not this fearful, like, oh, what do they think if I do something wrong or they don't approve? It's I care about what you think because I want to figure out how to best serve you. It's not about me anymore. It's about you. But ultimately, that confidence comes from, A, knowing that, look, God loves me regardless of if I screw up or not because, hey, I'm on his mission. This isn't about me. This is him. And the second thing is, it's not about me again. I'm about serving other people. And so I'm confident because I know I'm doing God's will. I'm in his will. And I can do whatever I want to do as long as it's in line with him. And I'm going to be fine. You know, that's the kind of confidence that I think people need because then they can take big steps and bold steps and huge risks. Because they know the guy who owned the cattle on a thousand hills and created the earth is standing behind him with that sense of security. I love that. I think that's so good. And I just want to add one quick thing to that. Something I've learned, you know, I struggled with identity for a long time growing up. I think as teenage girls, a lot, like most people do, especially with social media in today's culture. But the one thing about God is that his view of us never changes. And then if you flip that and you think, oh, I care about what the world says about me. I care about what these, this group of people say about me. Those opinions are constantly changing. You constantly want to be keeping up with the Joneses and having to change who you are. Or do you want to discover who you are through who God calls you to be? You know, the challenge of what you said, Bethany, is so interesting because, you know, oftentimes we, we find our identity in the world because when we do get the applause of our friends and our family and our neighbors and our coworkers, it feels good. Yeah. You know, it's like when someone says that we've got a good outfit on or our post look good and we've got a bunch of likes or just whatever, <laughs> like it feels good. And you're like, if I could just get that every day, I'd be great. But just like you said, no one can. And it's an up and down roller coaster. It's much better to pull back, let that go and find your identity in Christ. So we just have our closing questions that we ask all of our guests. So the first two have to do with purpose and then you'll do the millennial ones yeah. like you always do. So the first one is just... What would you say to somebody out there who is listening and they are realizing I do have a purpose, you know, I've been listening to this interview and I, I'm realizing I have a purpose out there, but I just, I feel so lost. I don't even know where to begin. What is something that you could leave them with today to uh, start stepping into who that they're called to be or discovering mm. what that is? 
Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when I get that question, I typically um, focus on on three specific things. And these are the things I've guided my life. And that's helped me see that I'm on the right path. And then also, I've seen this work for, for thousands of people, especially millennials. Um, so three things, three questions to ask yourself. Um, the first one is what makes me cry, right? What are the problems you see in the world that get you emotionally? Mm. You're like, this is wrong. Mm. Uh, I remember growing up, seeing weak leadership and poor leadership just drove me nuts. <laughs> I just couldn't stand it. The damage that happened to the people in the organization. I was like, why is this this way? I just didn't know, but that, that was one thing. Um, the second thing is what makes me sing? Like what gets me excited? What am I good at? Like when I do it, I just forget that I'm even doing it. You know, I just enjoy it so much. Maybe people have told you you're good at it. Maybe you've had experience with it, but you just, you're naturally gifted, right? Those yeah. are the two things. And then the third thing is, what does the world need? What does it need right now? Because yeah. I think if you combine those three things, you, you actually, you're actually meeting needs, you're solving problems, and you're doing what you're good at, what you're made to do. I mean, God made you for a purpose and he is trying to fix problems in the world and he needs people to step up and help him. And so he's like, pick one <laughs> and use your gifts to go address this area of the world, right? If you do that, you're solving problems, using your gifts and actually helping people. It's really hard to go wrong. That so is great. Yeah. So that's your homework this week, guys. Write those questions down and start reflecting on what those what those answers are because those are great questions to start asking. Okay, so let's say there's somebody out there who feels God calling them to something. They're sure of what they're supposed to do, but they just haven't taken that leap. Whether And it's because of fear, whether it's fear of other people's opinions, fear of security, they don't, they might, it might involve them leaving their job. What would you say to that person? Mm. Yeah. So I would say this, I would say the measure of your faith is your ability to take risks. Mm. Like that, that's, that's it. If God calls you to do something, it really, the clock is ticking now. Like the longer it takes for you to follow God's word and actually start stepping, right? That's how weak your faith is. But if God says go and you're like, my bags are packed, God, I'm ready to go. Like that's, that's a measure of your faith. Mm. And so what I would say to them is if, if, if God is calling you to do something, the act of walking towards that and taking a risk, that's the, that's the thing, that's the skill that you need to actually succeed in life. That's never going to stop. Like God is always going to ask you to get out of your comfort zone. It's always going to be painful. It's always going to feel like you're, you know, you're taking a cold shower because it's new. It's going <laughs> to, I mean, no matter what happens in your life, it's going to feel that way over and over and over again. So you might as well get used to it and say, this is what it looks like to follow Christ. It's taking risks and doing things I don't really want to do in the moment. That's awesome. And if you don't, you might get swallowed by a whale. It's <laughs> <laughs> happened before, right? Yeah. It's happened before. <laughs> All right. So our audience, given if the title didn't give it away, is mostly millennials. And so we ask all of our guests. Um, wait, first, I'm going to ask, are you a millennial? I am an old millennial. You better believe it. I'm yeah. a millennial. Yeah. I'm an old millennial too. So um, wanted to ask you, what is one thing that you're seeing that millennials are doing well and one thing that they need to work on? Mm. Well, I've got, I've got the good thing. I've got the good thing down. Um, millennials <laughs> are, uh, are, are purpose driven. Mm. Like that, I see that a lot. You guys mentioned this before we um, came on the air. Uh, man, from, from their sneakers 
to their hamburgers, to the cars they drive, like everything has to have a story and a purpose, right? Yeah. Which I, I think I think is great, right? Because that means that forces companies to actually start caring about the community and right. actually telling stories. And I think the more stories we tell, the more we're able to understand each other. I think the better off we are. So I, I love that about us. Um, I think the challenge. Here's the challenge. I think the challenge for millennials is 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 polarization. I mean, it's easy to kind of get in your bubble and to think your thoughts and to just have, you know, these are the people that I, you know, hang out with. These are the people I follow. The world is a big place. And to generate the skills to be able to influence people across different disciplines in different areas, man, that, that's key. And I think our generation really needs people who can, who can speak to conservatives and liberals, can speak to black and white people, can really lead like a lot of people as opposed to people who just agree with them. And, I don't know about you guys, but I do not find very many millennials who are able to lead people who are substantially different than them. They struggle with that. That is so true. I would say, honestly, that's probably the number one struggle of our generation right now. It's like, it's, there's just so much division in the world and it's like, choose a side. Right. They're not willing to have conversations with people that are different than them, let alone lead them. And they, they get super offended by what somebody else, uh, what their perspective is instead of getting to know them and why they think the way that they do. And millennials are the most educated generation on the history of the earth. Yeah. Right. You think that we would be able to like understand people well, just by learning about that piece of it. Yeah. We can literally say, Hey Siri, you know, it's like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah. but well, thank you so much, Dan. Um, I, I know this is going to impact people. I know that uh, listening to you, reading your book, sitting in your sessions has impacted me. And I learn something different each time that I interact with something that you, you do. So I know this is going to impact people, whether it's your story or some of the practical steps and things we can do to have a good mindset. Um, so thank you. Um, I would encourage everybody to go out and get Dan's book, Authentic Leadership, um, and follow along with Dan. Dan, where can they follow you and uh, where's the best place to go and get your book? Yeah. So I'm on, I'm on Instagram. Um, I am Dana Wallaby. Um, if you want to get the book, it's on Amazon. It's an easy pickup. There's some local bookstores. If you live in Northeast Ohio um, that, that carry it. Um, if you go to our website, awalabileadership.com or danawalabi.com, it takes you to the same place. You can buy the book there too. So those are the easy places. Facebook, obviously we got Facebook too. That's awesome. Yeah, guys, and the the book, uh, the book's great. And it's under 200 pages for any of you people Mm -hmm. that maybe don't necessarily like reading or get intimidated by 300 page books like I sometimes do and definitely used to used Mm -hmm. to. Um, But yeah, it was it's very impactful. I mean, I was just highlighting this and I just ate it up. So go out and get Dan's book. Um, Again, thank you so much for being here. It's always a pleasure to, to interact with you. Yeah. And kudos to you guys. Wow. I'm excited by your podcast. It sounds like it's going really well and got some great guests on. I love the topic. So keep it up, guys. You're doing good work. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dan. All right, guys. Cue the outro. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening this week. Our episodes come out every Tuesday, so be sure to hit that subscribe button to get notified as soon as they release. If you want to stay in the know with all of the exciting things that we're working on, or you want to have our episodes emailed to you each week for easy access, head to millennialmission.co. The link is also in the show notes. Enter your name, email, and hit subscribe. Catch you next week.